Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Philippians 4 verse 8 is our text this evening. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, your blessing of us with your will to be known through your word. Father, we pray that as we, we come to hear your word preached, that you would uh, illumine our minds and our hearts. Father, that we would be blessed through the ministry of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. All right, so Christian meditation, this is part two of meditating on the Word of God. We looked at this last time, and I'm going to begin where I left off last time. We're considering how we obey Philippians 4.8, how we dwell on or consider or ponder or think upon what is worthy of praise. And so my hope is that we'll... Um, we will, by God's grace and by His Spirit, we will love to turn our minds to spiritual things and set them there, set them on spiritual realities and truths, particularly set our minds on the glory of God, right? The glory of God which fills the universe, the glory of God which uh, is is everywhere found and is the uh, delight of God's people. So my definition of Christian meditation, which I adapted from John Owen's, John Owen, is, is as follows. Christian meditation is directing our minds to dwell on spiritual realities for the purpose of rousing our hearts and souls to feel the goodness or badness of those realities. Meditation should cause our hearts to experience a sense of love, a sense of delight, and a sense of humility. That's what Christian meditation is. Christian meditation as opposed to um, Eastern meditation, which would be an emptying of the mind. The Christian fills his mind with Scripture and with God himself. And so let me say that again. Christian meditation is directing our minds to dwell on spiritual realities for the purpose of rousing our hearts and souls to feel the goodness or badness of those realities. And I say badness because there are spiritual realities like hell, like eternal conscious punishment that we should think on, that our minds should go to. Right? And so that, that's a bad thing. Right? You don't want to um, think on those things. But there is uh, fruitfulness that comes from even meditating on those things. So here's my first question this evening. Why, why, why meditate on spiritual things, on spiritual realities? Why meditate? Why sit there and think? 
about spiritual things, right? It seems unproductive. It seems that it has nothing to do with what needs to be done next, right? It, it, it's not something that we can, um, that we fill up our checklists of the day's events with. And uh, yet it is something that we um, should do. So why meditate first? We're commanded by God to do it. Philippians 4.8, which we just read, is a command for us to dwell on those things that are beautiful and right and good and excellent and worthy of praise. And then we could go other places. We could go to, um, we could go to Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. There's another exhortation to think on, set your mind on, to ponder things that are above. Spiritual realities, not just contemplating the things of the earth. There's also the, the, the blessed man who's described in Psalm 1. What does the blessed man of Psalm 1 do? Well, he meditates. Right? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And why would he meditate in the law of the Lord? That seems a little bit strange that you would set your mind on the law as opposed to the gospel. Right? But the law is good. Right? The law is a demonstration, is a, is a is an outworking of the very uh, character of God, right? And so in his law, in meditating in his laws, we're meditating on God himself and his perfections and what he loves and what is good. And so we meditate on the law. Psalm 27.4 says, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. To go to worship in the temple is for the purpose of putting your mind on the Lord and meditating on Him. That's why you're here tonight. Some would rather watch football. You want to meditate on God Almighty. right? And that's what you're doing. You're giving yourself to the Word and His law and you're fixing your minds on what is above and not the things of the earth. That's Psalm 24. Psalm 119. I mean, how many verses could we pull out of Psalm 119 about meditating on God? Um, I mean, we could, we could go to each one of these things where every time the, the writer of the psalm says, I love your law, I love your statutes, I love your word, I love your commandments. He's meditating on what's good and right, true, beautiful. And so Psalm 119, if you want to coax yourself to meditate and delight in the commands of God, then read through that. Uh, Jesus commands in Matthew 22:37. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Right? S setting your mind on God. You are to um, love Him with your mind. Right? Not just your affections, not just with the spiritual part of you, but with your mind. You are to think on Him and think about Him. So why meditate? Uh, second, if you're a Christian, thinking about God and His glory and spiritual realities 
should be a delight. It shouldn't be a chore. It shouldn't be sort of an afterthought. It shouldn't be like, oh man, now I've got to think about God. If it's like that, you don't know the glory of God. You, don't, you haven't yet understood the magnificence of His holiness, the power of His, his speaking, right? That He created all things from nothing, the, the loveliness of His holiness. You haven't yet, if, it, if it's, a, if it's a, a drag for you to have to think about God, then you haven't come to know God as you ought. Um, this should be a delight. So we do it because it's satisfying. It's satisfying to think on those things that are lovely and delightful. It should satisfy us. And as, as John Piper would say, um, I think there's some truth in that famous statement of his, right? God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Right? God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. Satisfaction in God, enjoying God, delighting in God. Right? That, should, that honors God. That's what he expects of his children. In fact, it's not just what he expects. It's why you have your being. God, God made you to sing his praises. He made you. And that does not make God an egomaniac. Right? God is perfect. He doesn't need somebody to praise him. Right? He doesn't need a, need a shot in the arm to uh, encourage him. He doesn't need any of that, right? But he has been made so that you would do that, right? Because he is worthy of that praise. And so dwelling on the glory of God, which is the, the glory of God is the ultimate, true, honorable, bright, pure, lovely, good, reputed, excellent, worthy object. Right? Meditating on these things commended to us in Philippians 4 gives us delight it even gives us pleasure. Speaking of prayer, Owen, John Owen said, Christians do not only pray because it is their duty, but because they cannot live without prayer. Just as they cannot live without breathing or eating, they really enjoy praying. Nobody can enjoy doing something which does not bring joy, peace, and satisfaction. Without joy, peace, and satisfaction, they can perform the duty, but they can't enjoy it. Right? So there he's saying, look, it, it, is, it, is, it is necessary that the people of God not just pray out of a sense of duty. Right? That would be to miss the, the object we're praying to, but because it, is, it brings joy and peace and satisfaction. We, we should really enjoy praying. Do you enjoy praying? If you don't enjoy praying, guess what? You don't pray. <laughs> I guarantee it. We, we very seldom do the things that we don't enjoy. Right? It'd be like skipping a meal. Who wants to do that? Right? Skipping a meal stinks. We like to eat. Right? And we never miss our meals. Because we enjoy it. But prayer we don't quite enjoy. And so we'll often skip through it. We don't see it's... It's power. We don't see its necessity. And uh, we certainly don't enjoy it. So we, we skip through it. So if you, don't, if you don't enjoy praying, you won't pray. 
Owen says, um, says what he said about prayer, but the same could be said about the activity of meditation, right? which I'm making a distinction with. Meditation is, not, is maybe a part of prayer, but it's distinct from prayer. It's mulling over, it's thinking about, it's glorifying God in your thoughts and thinking upon Him. It's remembering the Scriptures and pondering them and, and pondering the promises and, and God's character. Right? So the same thing could be said about meditation, dwelling on God's glory. Uh, do you enjoy thinking about God? Do you enjoy just stopping and thinking about Him making all things from nothing? Him being holy? Him having in mind from all eternity those He would save? He being triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three. Right? The Father always being the Father to the Son. The Son always being the Son to the Father. And just rolling these things over in your head and being awed by God's glory. Christians find God glorious and can't help but think about Him continually. The Psalms are replete with demonstrations of this kind of delighting in God. Right? If you want to push yourself to delight in God, go to the Psalms. Psalm 36.5, Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house. And you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. That's meditating on God. That's just mulling over the characteristics. And, and you see the psalmist is, like, is, is thinking about an attribute of God and then thinking about how the things that he's created reflect that attribute of God and just sort of moving in between the two. Right? Your righteousness is like the mountains. Your judgments are like a deep valley. Your faithfulness is like the height of the skies. This you should do. You should, you, should, you should use, I mean, this is why we go to beautiful places in creation. It's because we want to be pointed toward the one who made those things. Right? And you should, be, you should be making similitudes. You should be seeing things in the world and recognizing God in those things. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 111.2, great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. The works of God, the things he's done, right? Why do you think Moses and the prophets wrote down the activity of God, right? So that we and others and they themselves could meditate on his glorious works. And this wonderful contrast between the man of the world and the Christian and what brings satisfaction in Psalm 17. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword, from men with your hand, O Lord, for, from men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you fill with your treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babes. As for me... I will behold your face in righteousness. 
I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Right? You see that contrast there between the wicked and the, and the righteous? The wicked are, are concerned with their belly and their kids and the things of this world. Right? Not that we aren't supposed to be concerned for our children, but the point that's being made there is it's one of these, it's one of the things of the world. Right? And yet, the godly man there beholds the face of God and is satisfied with God's likeness. And that, that will come to you when you begin the work of meditating on God. If you're not doing the work of meditating on God, if you're not doing the work of praying, then your mind will just simply be fixed on this, this earth. You will be satisfied with the things of the earth. If you have more of them, you'll be more satisfied. If you have less of them, you'll be less satisfied. And so your, your satisfaction, your joy will go up and down like the, the waves of the ocean. So why meditate? Because it's your joy, it's your delight, it's your satisfaction to think upon the glory of the Almighty and the wonder of His works. Those who know the gloriousness of the Lord Jesus Christ think upon that glory often, if not continuously. What's your first thought when you wake up in the morning? What's your first thought? Is it your aching shoulder blade? You know, <laughs> or is it... Is it, uh, is it the, uh, the aroma of the automatic coffee machine that came on and you're like, I'm, I'm going to have that. i got to have that now, right? It's wafting upstairs. Or, or do, you, do you honestly put your mind upon God the moment you wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for another day? Right? We ought to do that. Our minds should immediately go to God in the morning when we wake up. Um, don't fight your temptation to to um, to think upon the demands of the world the moment you wake up. Fight it. Give God your your first fruits. Give Him your first thoughts. Right. Give Him the best time. Give Him the first time. Third, why why take time to meditate, uh, ponder with our minds spiritual realities. Uh, meditating on spiritual things like the peace we will have eternally in heaven, for example, makes us ready to take up our cross now. Meditating on spiritual realities, meditating on God's glory, meditating on what is coming will allow us to take up our cross in this life. We see things now as through a glass darkly, not with perfect clarity. We don't understand everything. Nonetheless, we have a vision through Scripture of enough and a vision through scripture of the comfort that will come to us by God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Set your mind on that and then what can you endure in this life? Much. You can endure much affliction. You can endure much difficulty when you know that what is coming is, is that glorious time when God Himself gives you His attention and gives you all comfort. How will thinking about that time help you now? It will make you believe what the Apostle Paul said about our sufferings. All physical pain, 
all our losses of loved ones, all our losses of friends, our poverty, our constant state of temptation, He called His and our sufferings momentary light affliction. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Momentary light affliction. We kind of feel offended when He says that. We kind of feel like He's belittling our pain. Like this is... This is uh, and, and, but then you go read exactly what the Apostle Paul suffered and you're like, well, okay. He's got me beat. He's got me beat in the suffering category. Um, I have not been beaten 39 times with any whips. I can't imagine that that's a pleasant experience, something he wanted to go through three times. But he calls what he had suffered momentary light affliction because he knew what, was, what lay ahead. He knew what was coming. And indeed, an eternity of peace in the presence of God outweighs 60 or 70 years in this life of affliction. It vastly outweighs it. Though most people who are on the... the, the the wide path, will choose to have their pleasure in this life and not in the one to come. Here's another thing. It, meditating on what Paul said there, momentary light of fiction. In other words, we don't have to be defined by our afflictions, our fallenness, our temptations. No, we set our minds beyond this life, suffer through those things as those who know they will come to an end, a complete end. Right? They will be done. Those things will be first things that are done away with. We don't revel in our brokenness and define ourselves by what sins we are tempted to commit or even by being victims of God's providential unkindness. No, we set our minds on the scene in heaven where the first things have passed away and will never, ever, ever be again. Ever. They will not be again. You can't have rheumatoid arthritis on that side of the grave, right? And in this way, we are able to bear those crosses that God brings to us. They are not who we are, but are a means to an end, those crosses. Meditation allows us to bear that out, right? To persevere through those crosses patiently and with hope. Fourth, meditation on spiritual realities and the glory of God is the most effective way to draw the heart and its desires away from the love of the world. Away from the love of the world. There's a competition for your heart. There's a battle for your heart. There's a, a, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking uh, to devour you and God says resist him. And he will flee from you. But there's a competition. And the love of the world is a powerful force. It's a powerful force. You have to acknowledge that. Do we love the things of the world and envy sinners and their enjoyments? Think about that. I mean, how often do you envy the wicked? Larry shakes his head and so he's more sanctified than the rest of us. We all envy the wicked. We envy the wicked every time we're discontent. Right? We envy the wicked any time anytime that we, we want our pleasure now and in this life. 
We envy the wicked. And that is, and, and the reason why we envy the wicked is because we have a sinful nature still. We may have been drawn into God's kingdom. He may have changed us. And yet we still have the, 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 the indwelling sin. And one of the things it will do is cause you to envy the wicked. Right? Do we love the things of the world and envy sinners and their enjoyments? Are we seduced by her images, by her drinks, by her powers, by her intellect, by her sophistication? Do we long for anything in this world? Do we actually want what the advertisements tell us we want? And the answer is, most of the time, yes. On a good day, maybe no. Right? And, and that being the case, be warned about the danger you are in. We're all in a dangerous situation, being seduced by the world. And... and and the danger of it is you have sin within you that wants to go that way. You are not completely sanctified. The Apostle John writes, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Right? Do not love the world nor the things in the world. That is what we are commanded to do by Scripture. Do not love. And so consider your thoughts. Consider what you think about most of the time. What do you think about most of the time? It, I mean, stop and and examine yourself on this in the next week. What do I give myself to think about during the day? Is it some idol I worship? Right? Is it, um, am I just, do I have a, a rolling list of discontentments that roll through my head? Like I just go from, I wish this, and I wish this, and I wish I were here, and I wish this was different, and I wish my wife didn't do that, and I wish, you know, I wish my kids, and I wish this, and this and this, and, and if those things were good, then, then all would be well. Um, is, there, is there something that God won't give to you that you think about all the time? And you wonder why God wouldn't give that to you. Why would God not give me that? I've asked him to give me that. And he, he, he doesn't want me to have that, but that's all I think about. I keep going back to that. I keep annoying him with my prayers. What do you think about? Are they mostly settled on the things John lists? All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life? Do you want to have something to boast about with your friends? Do you want to go and, and flex your muscles in front of them and, and they be impressed? Is it those things that we think about? Owen, helpfully and clearly, again, he writes this. In comparison to Christ... Our love for even our dearest relatives will seem as if we hated them. Luke 14, 26. And this can only come about by the heart so loving Christ and heavenly things that we turn with hatred from anything that would seek to draw our hearts away from Christ. When men are so concerned with earthly things, however lawful and right, that it draws away their hearts from Christ and their spiritual duties, they sin but they are quick to make excuses for their sin. 
Does the state of the poor call on them for financial help? They have their own families to provide for. Charity begins at home. Are they required to attend a prayer meeting? They are so busy that it's impossible for them to be there. By these vain excuses, they declare themselves still to be under the dominion of worldly concerns. I mean, that's an interesting example he gave there. A prayer meeting. I mean, come on. Prayer meetings are completely superfluous. Prayer meetings are the things you don't have to go to in a church, right? And that's the example he gives. That's a little convicting. It should be convicting, right? I don't have time to to attend a prayer meeting. And by that, he says, well, you're concerned about worldly things. If you won't get to the prayer meeting, you're concerned about worldly things. John Owen said it. It's not me. I'm hiding behind John Owen. By these vain excuses, they declare themselves still to be under the dominion of worldly concerns. Many lie under this great danger every moment. Some have no idea that there is anything wrong with them. What is wrong with springtime with one's family when so many families are breaking up? What is wrong with dealing well and honestly in the ways of the world when most are wasting their time and money on, on lusts or heaping up riches by deceit and oppression? What is wrong with wanting the best for our children, seeing that he is worse than an unbeliever who does not care for his own family? By such reasoning and secret thoughts, many justify themselves in worldliness. Let us then examine ourselves by this rule. When love for the world prevails and we find ourselves making excuses for our negligence and spiritual duties and are no longer watchful over our own hearts, then worldliness worldliness surely is predominant in us. I mean, we justify ourselves all the time, don't we? I can't be engaged in this work. I can't be engaged in prayer this morning because, man, if I'm tired for the meeting at 10 o'clock, then it's going to affect my work. And I can't get up at 5 o'clock to pray because I'm just not going to be on for that work. And and Owen says, that's worldliness. Can you, I mean, wouldn't you, it'd be spiritually minded if you said, look, I've got a meeting at 10 o'clock, I better get up at 5 so I can pray through every aspect of that so that when I do it, I can give God glory. And if I'm successful, then he gets the credit. That's that's godliness of thought, right? But we do that all the time. We, 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 um, we make bargains and we, and we justify ourselves and, we, and we, we don't give ourselves to our spiritual duties because we think we've concocted some other method that's even more spiritual. The antidote is to dwell on things above. That's the antidote. Put your mind on things above. Think about what is pleasing to the Lord. Think always about what's pleasing to the Lord. What is going to be pleasing to the Lord for the balance of this day? What is going to be pleasing to the Lord? If you're dwelling on spiritual realities, you'll be unable to give your mind and heart to the world. Fifth, God is gracious and Scripture says He rewards those who seek Him. To meditate on God is to seek God, to want to know Him, to work To set our minds on Him and His glory and His works is to combat our wicked hearts and our disastrous, lukewarm faith. 
Right? A spiritual mind is life and peace. A mind set on the flesh is not at all peaceful. Romans 8.5, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Six, putting your minds on what is right is only possible by the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And as the Spirit works in fixing your mind on things above, you will overcome your besetting sins, those nagging and constant temptations. If the Spirit is at work in you, you will overcome those sins. Therefore, I urge you, this is Romans 12, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Seventh, the church in America is flooded with worldly mindedness and for the sake of the coming persecution and the sake of the work of the kingdom, we need to be more spiritually minded Christians. This is not time to play around. This is not a time to play around. It's not a time, it's not a time of leisure as much as we think it might be a time of leisure. The coming persecution will, will need spirit, worldly um, ignorant and spiritually wise, spiritually minded Christians. We must gird up the loins of our minds with the truth, as it says in Ephesians. We should in this way be like our Savior Jesus. Therefore, since we have a so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Right? Look at his suffering so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That, dear brothers and sisters, is how we are to be prepared for the grueling race ahead of us by fixing our eyes on Jesus and like him enduring the cross, knowing that there is joy beyond it. That takes spiritual mindedness. That takes meditation. That takes rejiggering our thoughts. That means coming out of the ruts of this world and lifting our thoughts up to heaven. And then finally, I'll end here. Here's, here's another example of meditation. David Brainerd was a godly man. He was a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards, a missionary to American Indians. Um, Edwards edited a biography of him called The Life and Diary of David Brainerd. Here's an example of that diary, an example of Christian meditation. This is where I'll end. This is the Lord's Day, May 17th. He's at Millington, and he says this. Spent forenoon at home, being unable to attend the public worship. He was very ill. At this time, God gave me some affecting sense of my own vileness and the exceeding sinfulness of my heart. 
that there seemed to be nothing but sin and corruption within me. Innumerable evils compassed me about. My want of spirituality and holy living, my neglect of God, living to myself, all the abominations of my heart and life seemed to be open to me a sinner. Towards noon, I say that the grace of God in Christ is infinitely free towards sinners and such sinners as I was. I also saw that God is the supreme good, that in His presence is life. I began to long to die that I might be with Him in a state of freedom from all sin. Oh, how a small glimpse of His excellency refreshed my soul. Oh, how worthy is the blessed God to be loved, adored, and delighted in for Himself, for His own divine excellencies. Though I felt much fullness and want of a spirit of prayer this week, yet I had some glimpses of the excellency of divine things, especially one morning. In secret meditation and prayer, the excellency and beauty of holiness as a likeness to the glorious God was so discovered to me that I began to long earnestly to be in that world where holiness dwells in perfection. I seemed to long for this perfect holiness, not so much for the sake of my own happiness, although I saw clearly that this was the greatest, yea, the only happiness of the soul, as that I might please God, live entirely to Him, and glorify Him to the utmost stretch of my rational powers and capacities. I mean, I think we honestly think David Brainerd is, is an idiot. I mean, I think we, I think we think he's an idiot. Like hyper-spiritual, over-spiritual. I mean, honestly, he wanted to go and die so that he could be with God in heaven. He's just being dramatic. He knew somebody was going to read his, his published you know, diary someday. And he's just being overly dramatic, right? And we, just, we don't think this is possible for us. We don't think that we could ever get to a state in this life where we actually think, okay, God, you are so glorious that there is nothing in this life that will satisfy me. I want to be with you in your presence at rest and peace in an eternal Sabbath. We think we, we are so fixated on this world that we're embarrassed when our minds even go there. We think it is hyper-spiritual, right? We would mock people for being of that kind of mind of David Brainerd, right? And we, we have so settled for worldliness. We've so settled for stupid, stupid thoughts and stupid entertainments that we just despise this kind of meditation. But I tell you what, the few times that God has blessed me in this way, I'd rather be in those meditations than anywhere else, than have any good thing in this life. The few times I've experienced this. Right? And it's been my sin that has kept me from experiencing it more. I just have been lazy in my spiritual walk. I have not delighted in the Lord. But brothers and sisters, this takes your effort and time. You have to do it. You have to stop being busy and honor God. You have to give Him the first fruits of your time. You really have to do that. I know you have little children and they need diaper changes and life seems chaotic, but husbands, give your wives time to be able to do this. 
right? And likewise, wives, give your husbands time to be with God and take it up and do it. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Do this and you will be satisfied. This will be your satisfaction. And you'll stop being stupidly satisfied by the mud pies of this world. You'll find God delightful. Delight in him, okay? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, forgive us for our worldliness. Forgive us for the things we set our minds on. Forgive us for for being entertained by the things of this world and so seldom stopping and just reveling in who you are. I pray that we would have meditations like the psalmists. I pray that our minds would be lifted up. I pray that we would delight to think upon you and to pray to you and to worship you and to sing your praises, to be into your house, to be with your people, to be reminded of all of your glorious promises, to think upon the power of God and his resurrection and that all things will, be, will come together in your time. And Father, we will be forever with you. Father, forgive us for being satisfied with so little now. I pray that we would have a foretaste of the glory and joy and all-consuming presence, your presence that we will have when we are with you, free from sin for all eternity. Take our minds off this world and place them on things above. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.